week, and we are launching a new series. We just finished up one on the Man of Steel. If you did not hear that, if you didn't hear the Man of Steel message, you can listen to the podcast. You can get that uh, uh, on our Facebook. Uh, so if you're not there, you can join that group, and you can listen to those. Those will, will be a blessing to you. But this week, we are starting a new series called Greater. And Greater is uh, about, it's a, from a book by astronaut Stephen uh, Burdick. And he's, a, he's an amazing man of God, and this is a fantastic book. We're going to be going over the next few weeks over this book and the contents of it and what it, what it talks about and how God has called us to a greater life. So if you'd like to read along with it, please pick it up. Again, the book looks just like that, and it's called Greater. Okay, So you can read along with us if you want to. But this week, we are going to uh, talk about uh, burning our plows, and we're going, to, we're going to discuss Elijah and Elisha. These are some interesting characters from the Bible, but the whole basis of this book is that most of us are not in danger of ruining our lives. We're in danger of wasting them by living a life that is lesser than what God has called us to do. And so uh, I, I'm going to read a verse here, and, and the person that is speaking in this verse is Jesus Christ. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, and he's trying to comfort his disciples and let them know, hey, I'm getting ready to be taken away. And they're like, no, Jesus, don't go. He's like, yes, I have to go. And they're like, we'll never leave you, Jesus. He's like, actually, you'll deny me. You're going to leave me. And, uh, and, and so he's comforting them. But he says, listen, the reason I have to go is this. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to own a Bible, and I don't mean just use it for today. I mean, like, own a Bible. We have Bibles. If you just put your hand in the air, I will put a Bible in your hand. That will be a Bible you can take, and you don't have to leave it here. You can take it home with you, and uh, that is your Bible. So if you just put your hand up and let us know that you need a Bible, we'll give you one. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, cool. All right, guys, you can, you can settle down. Thank you. <laughs> I got all my hosts. They're ready. They got Bibles in hand. They're ready to go in the back of the room. Um, we are going to be in John 14, 12. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, Very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Wrap your head around that for a minute. Doesn't that blow your mind? If you know who Jesus was, you know that his first miracle was that he turned water into wine. And then several, several pages later, you see Jesus healing people. He goes into cities and he heals all of them. Lame guys, blind guys, he's spitting in one guy's eyes. And the guy recovers his sight. I've never done that myself uh, and seen anybody healed. Okay? They just kind of get angry when you do that. So just letting you know. Not something I want to encourage you to go out and do unless God is telling you to do that. Okay? <clears throat> but Jesus does all kinds of miracles. Uh, he even he raises the dead, you know. And I don't know about you, but but this verse is he's talking to his disciples. You say, well, that was for them. That was the twelve. He was talking to the twelve, and actually he wasn't. Jesus was talking to his disciples there, which means he's talking to me and you. You say, well, Aaron, I'm not real sure I'm a disciple. Okay, let me let me clue you in as to whether you're a disciple or not. Disciples live their lives this way. They ask two questions: What is Jesus saying? And what am I doing about it? Or how am I living a life in response to what Jesus is saying? You say, well, Jesus, Jesus is not here, Aaron, on this planet. Right, I got you there. So in your prayer time, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you as you pray, as you worship? Or what is he saying to you as you read the word? How are you living a life in response to what you're reading? That's a disciple. So if you're doing those things, you are a disciple, which means he's talking to you. He's talking to me. And Jesus says... That the works that I have done, which means spitting in a blind man's eyes, and watch these words. And they will do even greater 
than these things. Do we really believe that? I mean, honestly, do you really believe that? Do you believe that the things Jesus did were meant for you to do? Do you believe that the greater than those things you're meant to do? Do we live our lives that way? I certainly know that I don't, not always. There are times, there are moments of greatness, they are fleeting, but I do have them. I'm sure you all do as well. But do I live my life like that? And Jesus is saying, Here's, this is for you. And then he goes on to say how we do that in the next few verses, and he says that it's by the power, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that. So our story this week, where we're taking, because Jesus was Jesus, right? Like he, Jesus was born great. Jesus is peeing on himself as a baby, and that's great. Everyone's like, wow, that is amazing. That is Jesus, and that is great. There is nothing Jesus had to do except be here to be great. He stepped out of glory, sitting on the throne in heaven, and into humanity, and into our life, and he was great, and it was good, right? That's Jesus. But we're not Jesus. So we have to have a process of going from where we are to going to great. And I think this, there's a story about a prophet his name is Elijah, and how he chooses his successor, and how he goes from being a guy plowing in the field to being greater. And so we'll, we'll go into, into um, 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So if you're reading in your Bibles, you can turn there. But let me, let me back up the story here, because this is going to pick up where Elijah meets Elisha. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to confuse that the whole time. I'm going to say the wrong names. If somebody wants to ding me or buzz me or something, you know, that's fine. You can do that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Because uh, even as I was going through the sermon this morning and last night, and the prior, I just kept getting it wrong. So I know I'm going to do that, and I apologize. You try it, okay? Elijah or Elisha, okay? Elisha's the dude we're focusing on. <laughs> so Elijah is like this major prophet from the Old Testament. Now, prophet is a man of God. Usually prophets would come to the kings, and they would come to the cities of Israel, and they would say, hey, you guys are wrong. You guys are living a life of sin. You have put another God before God. They did not, when they showed up at the doorstep, it was not usually a, hey, great, there's the prophet. It was like, here comes the prophet. And because they knew that they were, going to, they were going to be told where they were wrong, and they were going to be given an opportunity to repent, right? And so that's who the prophets were. And Elijah was one of the greatest ones. In fact, Elijah is still talked about in the New Testament, and they're like, the, the Jews were still looking for Elijah to come back. Because Elijah's one of those guys who left the earth and didn't die, right? I know it's strange. The Bible's full of all kinds of fun things like that, right? There are two guys, Enoch and Elijah. They're fun. Read them out. And, um, and so Elijah has this reputation. And Jesus even says Elijah did come back, and he came back as John the Baptist. I don't even want to go into that. I don't even understand that. But that's what it says, is that Elijah came back, and it was John the Baptist. So, uh, you know, anyway. Elijah's this guy. He's this prophet. He's the biggest one. Here's, here's Elijah. I love Elijah because he's, he reminds me a little bit of me and how I feel like if I was like a prophet, I would be like him. Okay, shows up on a scene, and Baal is this god of the Old Testament, right? And Baal is, uh, they, there's like thousands and thousands of worshipers of Baal, and Elijah shows up and says, hey, you guys are serving this false god. You need to be following the true god of Israel, right? And so he says, let's have a contest. Let's see whose God will answer by fire. And they go, yeah, that's a good idea. So they all gather, and there's hundreds of them on their side, and then there's Elijah, and he's standing here. They both build altars, because that was customary at the time, to build an altar and put a sacrifice on it. They chop up a bull, and they put it on, on that altar there. They got stones and wood, stones and wood, same here, same there. And they're like, I'll give you, Elijah said, I'll give you guys the opportunity first. You guys go first. 
and they, they dance, they sing, they cut themselves, which is after their tradition, and they do all kinds of things, and they call on Baal to send down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. They determined that the God that would answer by fire was the God that everyone should serve. So Elijah's standing there, and he turns to him, and he taunts him, and he says, uh, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you should sing louder. And they do. And they scream louder, and they dance harder. And he says, well, maybe your God's on vacation. I'm not sure. And so they go all the more. And they go from sunup until about midday doing this. And Elijah says, okay, you guys are done. You've had your chance. This is my turn. And so he steps in front of his altar. Now, here's Elijah. I love this. And so most of you that don't know, and some of you do know, I'm a magician. I do sleight of hand stuff. And so whenever I'm performing for people, the number one thing everybody says to me is, it went up your sleeve. So when I perform for people, I pull my sleeves up because I don't want them to have an excuse or a way out and say, oh, well, it went up his sleeve. Elijah does the same thing here, which I think is really cool. The prophets of Baal did not do this, but Elijah did because his that sacrifice has been sitting there all day long. The wood could have got hot or the, the kindling could have been hit by the sun and it could have lit a fire itself. Elijah wants to remove all doubt that the fire is coming from heaven. And so he says, go get buckets of water and dump it on my, on my sacrifice. Because it's been sitting there in the heat all day long, right? He dumps water on it. It's like pulling up his sleeve saying, I'm going to remove your excuses. Dumps water on it. And then he builds a trench around the altar. He fills the trench with water. The whole thing is soaking wet. And he says, God, answer by fire. Fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And everybody says, your God is true. Kill them. And they kill the, the, the worshipers of Baal. And God reigns supreme. Okay? It's a really, really great story. And that's who Elijah is. He's the greatest prophet ever. This guy, hands down. And the, the miracles that he did are insane. And so we pick up our story because Elijah needs to mentor somebody. He needs to pass on his mantle or his cloak of being a prophet. So we pick up in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, Elisha son of Shaphat. Shaphat, Shaphat, I don't know, Shaphat. He was, <laughs> you try it. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Let me break it down for you real quick. Elijah, Elisha is minding his own business. He's doing his job. His job day in and day out is to plow the fields, okay? It doesn't say whether they were his fields or not. We have to assume that they are because it doesn't say it, it, it isn't. So in this version of the story, they are his fields, okay? And he's out there plowing with his cattle, which means this guy had money. I know that because when we talk about the riches of God, we say that God has a cattle on a thousand hills. So I know that cattle is a representation of financial wealth. This guy had some, some substance to him, okay? And he's out there driving these, and he's in the field. And this is his job. He's like me and you. We all have a job. We all have something we to do day in, day out. He's behind the plow. He has the smell of the ox. He's looking at the south end of a northbound ox. You know what I'm saying? All day long. This is his view. And he's minding his own business. And in comes the prophet Elijah and tosses his mantle on. And the mantle was an indication that he was the prophet. And when he did that, he was passing it on. All right? So this is tradition. And Elisha knew what that meant. And so in verse 20, he says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So Elijah pretty much did this. You ever seen these, these rapper guys? They rap, they do their thing, they hold out their microphone, drop it, and walk off. That's what Elijah just did to Elisha, okay? 
dropped the mail and walked off because it says he ran after it. That means the dude was walking away. Okay? So he tosses the coat, <laughs> tosses the coat and just walks <laughs> off. And so Elisha now has to take initiative and chase after him. And so he does. And Elijah, Elisha says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Elijah, realizing what he's done, turns to him and says, go back. What have I done to you? Elisha takes steps to follow the man of God, realizing that he's going to be the next person in line. The mantle is being passed to me, and he goes and he kisses his mother and father goodbye. But of course, that's representative of everything that he knew. That's his life. He says, I'm going to kiss him goodbye, and then I'm with you. And I believe there's times in all of our lives where we're all just doing what Elisha was doing. We're all just in our everyday life. We're driving down the road, or we're walking, we're on a lunch break. And God issues an invitation to something greater. It happens all the time to us. For Elisha, he's got steady work. It's good work. It's stinky work. But it's his job. And you and I have the same thing. Some of you guys think your job stinks, right? Okay, I understand. Yep, I'm seeing some, shit, some head shaking back there. Yep. So you're just like Elisha. And as we go through life, we're doing ordinary things, mowing the grass, changing poopy diapers, making dinner, hopefully not in that order, and also without washing your hands. Let's hope it's not. Going to work, driving the kids to soccer. These are all good things, but they're average things. And God is stepping into our life on a regular basis, calling us to something greater. He may not be calling you to something different or something brand new. We always want to think it's going to be the new thing. It's going to be a different thing, but it may not necessarily be that. He may just be calling you to do the same thing in a completely different way. So like, don't go get a new spouse, just be a better spouse. Don't go get a new job, just come to your job where God's planted you with a little more fervor, with a little more zeal to do it well. And to do it better than you've done it before. Better than anybody else has done it before. For us, you have to think about it and think it may not be a stepping out of something, but it may be a stepping up into something. Maybe you need to take that promotion you've been afraid to take. I don't know. What is God talking to you about? Where has he called you to greater? Maybe he's just called you to be a light at your place of employment. Maybe you're supposed to start a Bible study on your lunch hour or invite somebody to church. I don't know. But God has called us all to something. Most of us, I venture to say, are not pursuing greater in our walk with God. Most of us are just trying not to fall back. We're, we're just bracing ourselves so that we don't go back to what we left behind instead of pursuing and going forward. And that's a defensive position. That's, I'm going to hold right here instead of taking the adventure and taking the life that God intended for us. We need to be careful because five years will go by and you'll still be in the same rut, doing the same thing, like Elisha. Plow in the field. Nothing exciting. This is good. My bills are paid. My needs are met. There's no adventure here. There's no miracles here. I'm just, oh, hit a rock. <laughs> just ride on the plow. That's it. God has greater for you and I right now, not later down the road. And so once Elisha followed Elijah, he disappears into obscurity. We actually don't hear about Elisha for many years. He becomes the servant of Elijah and he follows him around. Basically, he's in training. He's in boot camp. When God called him to greater, he didn't call him to greater like right then. He didn't throw the man on him and then Elisha became Elisha. It wasn't like that. It was, hey, you're going to carry my bags and you're going to go everywhere with me. We're going to sleep on some floors. We might go without some food. We're going to trust God. So he learns to do that. Because here's the thing. 
God, and, and a lot of times that scares us, right, to be called by God to step into something greater because we're like, ah, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing or that's not something I'm familiar with. But here's the deal. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. I'll say it again. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He will call you into doing something greater in your life that you may not even be prepared for. But the moment you're willing to step away from it, like Elisha was, he'll equip you. He'll prepare you. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Every time. So where I want to land today and where I want to, I want to continue on is verse 21. That 2 Kings 19 through 20 and 21. And it's what Elisha did, the steps he took to go to greater. So Elisha left and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is just an odd thing. He had to go kiss his mom and dad goodbye, which means they were nearby. He's got friends and family. And then he's got his livelihood or his what he's always known, which is ox and the plowing equipment. And he slaughters the ox, which... By the way, in that time to get meat, that was a delicacy. That was a treat. And he's got 12 of them is what it says. He's got 12 of them. And he kills them all. Remember what I told you the ox are? They're a representation of his financial status. He kills his ox. He says, I'm stepping away from all of that. I don't know about you, but stepping away from every dime I have, or every bit of social status I have, or every bit of everything I've ever known, is a scary thing. That's a really scary thing. John, you know what that's about. You know what that's about. John's getting ready to move to North Carolina. And I don't know that he's scared, but he knows it's a big step. It's a major step for him. I applaud you, my friend. That's a step of faith. Sorry I didn't mean to call you out in front of everybody, but I met with John this week and I learned his story. But just like Elisha, that was a big step. He gives up his social status, all of his money, everything he has, gone. And then he takes the plows. The plows represent everything he knew, his day-to-day life. This is what I did every day. I rode those plows. And instead of selling them, he gets rid of them. Why? He breaks them down and he burns them. Why does he burn the plows? It's, it's a representation of there's no plan B on this thing. So a lot of us, when Jesus calls us to do something, they say, okay, that thing that he's called me away from, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to put it over here just in case this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, right? I'm going I'm to hang on to it. Or that relationship I have, I'm going to hang on to it. Or that thing, that, that addiction, I'm just going to hide it. Or that website that I used to go to, I'm not going to remove it from my favorites. Or I'm not going to block it so that I can't go to it anymore. I'm going to hold on to it just in case this thing doesn't work out. And we're that way. When we try to build our dreams and life on our past, it's not going to stand. We have to have Jesus as the foundation to have greater. See, a greater life doesn't start with building your dream. It starts by destroying your past life. You can't have greater in the past at the same time. You have to let go of one to have the other. You know, Some of us, we come to Jesus, and we come to Jesus, and there's a song that says, I surrender all. But most of us, we want to do it like this. We go, I surrender some. I surrender some. Some to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender some. The words go, I surrender all. All to thee, my precious Savior. 
But we don't want to live a life like that. We want to just give him some because some is comfortable for us. But not all. All is a little uncomfortable. All requires faith. All requires us to move towards him and let go of something. You may have to go let go of relationships or hobbies or pastimes. That Facebook friend or that food group. You know, pizza is one of those things. You may have to let that go. You know, for me, I couldn't have my wife and a girlfriend at the same time. When I proposed, <laughs> when I proposed, I didn't tell Shanda that she was the one for me, but I'm going to have this girl on standby just in case this doesn't work out. Uh, she's no friend, no big deal, it's just a possibility, and I'm going to leave it open. I wasn't able to say that to my wife. I had, <laughs> when I married her, I had to forsake all others. Now, granted, the line waiting, waiting for me was not very long, and that's okay, <laughs> but... Still, I had to take down the tents of barriers, roll up the, the red carpet, turn off the open for business sign. There was no room at the end. I was all done. When I agreed to marry her, I said, you are the one for me. But if you don't believe that God does miracles, take a look at my wife, take a look at me, and then go, oh yeah, God's in that. God's in that. That dude does not belong with her. But when we come to Jesus, it has to be this way. We have to be all in. There can be no other. And many of us will never get to greater because we haven't burned our plows. Our plows are everything we used to know. It's what we're holding on to. It's what's comfortable for us. And we've got to do it. And Elisha chose to burn the plows. And truly a new life in Jesus is burning that plows. There's no turning back. We move on in the story for Elisha. And we see that Elijah is getting ready to leave. He knows that his time has come. And Elisha even knows it as well that God's going to take Elijah off the earth. And Elijah couldn't be here at this point if he hadn't decided to burn the plows, if he hadn't decided to slaughter the ox, if he hadn't decided to kiss his mom and dad and everything he knew goodbye. He would not be at this point with Elijah. And Elijah several times in that day tells him, hey, stay here. I'm called to go on to the next, to the next place. And Elisha says, nope, I'm not going to leave you. Stand by your side. They go to the next town and the prophets that are there in that town say, hey, Elisha, you know, he's taken off, right? And he says, yes, gosh. Leave me alone. I'm going. I don't know why Elisha just became Napoleon Dynamite, but he is. <laughs> he's going with him. He's sticking with him. So he goes to the next town. And they tell him again, you know he's leaving. He's like, yes, I'm going. <coughs> so he goes with them. They get to the River Jordan. Elijah, Elijah <coughs> takes off his cloak and strikes the water. And the most amazing thing happens. The waters part and they walk across on dry land. When they get to the other side, Elisha, Elijah says to Elisha, what can I do for you? What do you want? And Elisha looks him square in the eyes, as bold as can be, and says, I want double the portion that you've got. Double. Double the miracles that Elijah's done, Elisha wants. Double the anointing. Double the call of, God's, of God on Elijah's life. Elisha wants that. How many of you would be so bold as to ask for that? How many of us would be so bold as to ask God? For me to look at my pastor, who I respect, and love this man and go, I want double what that guy's got. Seems a little cocky. But Elisha, he knows God's called him the greater. And so he asked for it. And Elijah says, if you see me get caught up, what I'm taking, he said, you'll have that. You'll have what you asked for. And so Elisha now follows him around like this. He's watching every second. And I don't know about you, but if I was given a double portion, I would have my eyes open the entire time. I would be watching the entire time so that I didn't miss anything. So that that one thing that I asked for, I would have. 
And so Elijah, Elijah and Elisha are walking, and it happens. Chariot of fire comes out of the sky, and Elijah sees Elisha sees Elijah being taken away. And when Elijah's taken away, his cloak falls off and it falls down at his feet. And Elisha picks it up. And I, and I have to think in my mind that the moment that happens, he has to be rejoicing, but a little unsure. Because it's not like a beam of light hit him, you know, and he all of a sudden puffed out his chest and put his hands to his side and the Superman song started playing. It didn't happen. I don't think it happened like that. I'd like to think that happened, that he felt a jolt go through his body and that he was suddenly superpowered. But he has to take another step of faith. And so he picks up the cloak, he walks over to the Jordan River, and he strikes the river. The river parts, and he walks across on dry land. And all the prophets on the other side who are waiting on Elijah to leave are like, oh yeah, this man's the man. In fact, he got what he asked for. God blessed him in his obedience. God blessed him when he stepped out. And Elisha has now arrived at greater. In fact, Elisha, the recorded miracles of Elijah, if you tally them up, Elisha did exactly double, well, almost, what Elijah did. When Elisha died, he was one short. He was one short of doing the recorded miracles of Elijah, greater than that, doing the double. So Elisha's bones are, are buried, and there's some guys that are burying one of their friends. This is years later. We're talking bones now. This is not on his body. This is not Elisha's just died. We're talking bones. And they're burying their friend, and some bandits come along. And they're like, they gotta, they're, they're in a hurry now. They don't have time to dig a hole for their friend, so they open Elisha's tomb, they throw their buddy in on Elisha's body, they take off. The moment his, their buddy's body hits Elisha's bones, he comes back to life, gets up, and starts running after him. There you go. Double. God is faithful. And so Elisha experiences that, that double. So, all right, Aaron, great story. I enjoyed it. Why are we talking about this? So I'm going to ask you a question. What is your plow? We all have a plow. We all have that thing we're comfortable with. We all have that thing we know that we can, we can count on day in and day out. But the way to, grade, to greater is to go deeper in your dependence on God and to release or to burn that plow. What do you have to burn? Is it an emotional plow? Is it a spiritual or a physical plow? Some of us, the greater life is being blocked by something that's lesser. It may not even be something that's bad. It may be unforgiveness, which is bad. Excuses. Could be laziness or procrastination, addiction, a relationship or a grudge. But God doesn't always show us what's on the other side of burning our plows. We want to see down the road. We want to know, all right, if I get off my plow, if I forgive somebody, or if I change my life, if I burn this plow, what's next? But that's not for us to know. In fact, if we could see down the road, if we could know what's on the other side of burning our plows, that's not faith. And God has called us to a life of faith, to obey him regardless. And I'm sure Elisha, when he stepped out, when he burned his plow, that he had questions too, that he wondered what's on the other side of this. But he had faith and he did it. He gave up everything. But let me tell you this. That even though we want to know what's at the end of it, God is more interested in our full obedience than he is in our full understanding. He's more interested in us obeying him now than he is in us understanding what's coming down the road or knowing what's on the other side of burning our plows. 
If Elisha had known that he would have a double portion, that he would have a cloak, and he was going to strike the waters, and they were going to part, and he was going to do double the miracles of Elijah, I think I'd have, I'd, I'd have been like, duh, this is a duh thing, let's do it. There's no faith required in that. But Elisha stepped out in faith. And the, and the word of God says that, that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now, I don't know, and, what, and here's why I say that. I don't know if you've ever walked with a lantern before or a lamp or gone, gone camping, but that light is not like a beaming flashlight where it's like, whoosh, and you can see the whole path in front of you. A lantern lights like right here. You can see your next step, but you only get to see out there by the next step that you take. You don't get to see your end destination. A lantern doesn't light your, your, your path way down the road. It lights where you are. It may not even light up your next step. It just depends on how bright it's burning. But the Word of God promises to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If God were to map it out for us so we could see our end, that's not faith. And God has called us to trust Him completely. There's, a, there's an image I want you to have. You guys know the trust, the trust fall? This is where you, where you do this thing and you've got somebody behind you, right? So the first step in that is you stand like this and somebody stands in front of you and they say, fall forward. So imagine Jesus is right in front of you and he says, fall forward. You fall forward into Jesus. He sees right in front of you. The next step is Jesus is behind you and he says, okay, fall backwards. All right, well, he caught me before. He caught me in front of me. I could see him before. Now I can't see him, but I know he's behind me. Okay, I'll fall backwards. Jesus catches you again. Yeah, this is a fun game, Jesus. We go to the left or the right now. Where are you going? And Jesus, standing behind you now, says, fall forward. Well, I must have misheard you, Jesus. You're behind me. Fall forward. Yeah, but who's going to catch me? Fall forward. It's a step of faith at that point. And that's what God is asking us to do when he says it's time to burn your plows. It's time to fall forward when you don't know what's going to catch you. It's time to go there. It can be uncomfortable to let go of our plows because we fear loss. But letting go of what we have frees us up to receive what God has for us. Burning the plow of unforgiveness, for example, will bring you peace in your heart and can restore relationships. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it at all. Or, if we burn the plow of comfort, and the other side of that is the thrill of excitement, greater faith and greater works. God does things that you can't even believe and you have to look at it and go, I, I had nothing to do with this. I have no idea how that happened. But God was in that. Jesus will never take anything away from you unless he plans to give you something greater. We have to believe that. We have to believe that after we burn our plow that there's something greater for us. People will call you crazy or try to pull you back where they are because they're a little uncomfortable with your freedom. They'll try to pull you back where they are because they're comfortable. They want you riding on the plow next to them. Hey, buddy. How you doing? They want you right where they are. They don't want to go where you're going. They don't want to give up their status. They don't want to give up their money. They don't want to get off their plow. But burning our plows does not automatically solve our problems. And I guarantee you that Elisha had problems. And then followed by some obscurity after he followed Elijah. But it wasn't long until he experienced a double portion you know, for me, it was really comfortable at my home church at C3. I loved it there. But God called me to something greater. And here I stand today. It was a simple conversation that I had with my pastor. And he goes, you ever thought about being a pastor before? And before I could stop and say, nope, 
It came out of my mouth with a yep. And then I had a choice. I had to start burning some plows. A year and a half before I stand before you today, I quit my job. No job that lined up, I had to quit my job. I knew it was what God was calling me to. It was a plow I had to burn. I burned it. The end of, of my, my time there, my duration at that job, what's next, Lord? I don't know. Just blessing. And God just blessed us. No need went unmet. We had checks show up in the mail. From I don't even know where they came from or why, but God had plans for me. And he blessed us. Burn the plow. And today, God is calling us all to greater. He's calling you to burn a plow. Are you ready? Our ushers have, or our hosts here, have white cards that they're going to pass out to everybody that's here. Today, I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to think about what is the plow that God has been talking to me about? Don't put your name on these cards. Completely anonymous. But I want you to, to think about and take a moment. What is my plow? What is it that God has called me to do? What is the greater he has called me to be? What's the plow I need to get off of? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Is it, hey, I need to get involved and serve? Or, hey, I need to find a place to give, to give back. And I've just been sitting on this plow, afraid to take the next step. Or maybe for you it's, I don't know Jesus at all. And I've been afraid to jump off my plow because I'm not sure what it means to walk with Jesus. I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure God's going to meet me. If that's you, I want you to think about what is your plow, and I want you to write it down on that white piece of paper. I'm going to be quiet for just a minute and give you time to think. <clears throat> 